Welcome back to Brisky Business. And this segment is brisk bulls and bears, and we're going to dig in a little more into the stock market. We covered a fair amount of it in the last segment uh, because we had questions that related to it. And I like this program. This program is about your questions, and I love that we're customizing it to what's on your mind. And so uh, I had a, a really interesting question come up, and apparently I didn't do a very good job in one of the prior segments uh, when we talked about our, uh, you know, we, uh, we at Longevity, so I'm the president and CFO of Longevity. I haven't mentioned that in a while, but we're a public company and we trade under the symbol YGYI. And we had made a couple of announcements and I talked about our stock getting shorted and what that all meant. And um, apparently I took for granted that everyone understood what shorting was about or what a short position is in your stock. And apparently, uh, a lot of you had questions about that. So uh, I got a number of questions about uh, short selling and if I could expound on what a short selling position is. So I thought I'd cover that at the very beginning here of Brisk Bulls and Bears. Let me take a sip of this amazing coffee. By the way, this is Longevity Be The Change coffee. Um, the interesting thing about this coffee is this company, Longevity Be The Change, it gives 100% of the profits it makes on the sale of coffee to charity. I think that's really cool. So it tastes a little bit better when you know about that. So let's, let's talk about this short selling phenomenon and what it means and if I can expand on it. And uh, I'm going to get right to it. So it is complicated now that I think about it. So let's talk about what isn't short selling. In other words, buying a stock. So this is a stock that you would just go out and you would acquire. So you, it trades for, let's just say, $10 a share. Uh, you want to buy um, 100 shares. And so all of a sudden, you've got $10,000 worth of stock. And you own the stock. And what do you want the stock to do since you own it? You want it to go up, right? That's what normal, that's what most people think about owning a stock is. I buy a stock, it has a value, and I want it to go up, and so that's how I'm going to build my portfolio. I am an optimist. I like to see stocks rise, and that's how I build my portfolio. So what is this idea of short selling? Well, this is a situation where you think a stock is going to go down. You may think the company is overvalued. You may think the company isn't worth the price it's trading for. And you're like, geez, it would be a good investment for me if I would short the stock. In other words, play the stock so that if its share price fell, I would make money. So you're playing a stock down. So this is a little bit different thinking, and it is fairly complicated because you're essentially selling something you don't own. That's what shorting is. You're selling stock that you don't own in your investment account. So what you're actually doing is you're going to borrow the shares from your brokerage account. So you have to have a brokerage account to do this. You have to have what they call a margin account to be able to short a stock. And then you are selling shares that you actually don't own yet. So what you're doing is you're borrowing the stock from your brokerage account, as I said. So let's just walk through some simple math on this because I think it'll start to make a better sense when you see like a practical application. So let's go back to the 100 shares of a company example and they're $10 per share. And you think there's no way that that company stock should be worth $10. I did the quick ratio. I did the current asset. I did all of the stuff. I know that it's overvalued. 
valued. I've done a peer study. In other words, I looked at its competition. And based on the valuation that this company has in terms of its revenue and its balance sheet, it's way overpriced. So I think it's going to go down, and I want to short it. So 100 shares, $10 a share is a $1,000 investment. So you essentially sell. Yeah, you sell 100 shares that you don't own. So you're, you borrowed it from your brokerage account. They have shares there, and you've sold these shares that you don't own. So now, what do you have to do to make money? So in your margin agreement, uh, most margin agreements call that you have 35% coverage when you short a stock. And what that means is if you invested $1,000, like in our scenario, 35% of $1,000 is $350. And in your brokerage account now, you have to have $350 of cash to be able to do this short trade. They want to make sure they're covered, your brokerage account. They're not going to take this risk. So you have, you have the opportunity or obligation to actually buy these shares, right? because that's how you're going to make money. You've already sold them, but you didn't have any shares to sell. So at some point, you have to buy the shares to sell them. So what happens in this scenario if the stock goes up? Hmm, that's interesting. So instead of it now at $10, it's now $15. You have your 100 shares of stock that you sold already, and now it's at $15 a share. What's the math? $15 times 100 is now it's $1,500. So you paid $1,000, right? You had to have your 35%, right? Your margin account. You had to have $350 of cash in your account. But now the stock went up. And now it's $1,500. So your brokerage account's going to say 35% of $1,500 is $525. So we need to make a margin call from you, Mr. Short Investor. You need to put more money so we're safe in our loaning you those shares that you've already sold, that you owe us for. And you have to cover that. You had 350 in cash. I need you to get your account to $525 in cash. So you essentially would have had a margin call of the spread of $175 that you have to cover. So that's the way it works on the upside. On the other way, why is short selling uh, considered more risky? Yeah, it's more speculative and more risky than long selling. And a lot of people, I say that, go, why is that? Well, let's, let's walk through the scenario um, if you're playing the long, uh, market long or short. So the potential gain, let's go back to our, 10, our $10 stock, okay? So you bought, um, for 10 bucks, you bought the 100 shares, right? So we got 100 shares, that's $1,000. What happens if the stock goes to zero? You're playing it short, remember? You're playing it down. So if the stock goes to zero, you invested $1,000, right? The stock went all the way to zero. That's your dream, right? So you can buy the stock back at zero, so your 100 shares is worth $1,000. Because what did you now pay for the stock when you covered? You paid nothing. So you made $1,000. Keep that 1000 bucks, and you made $1,000. So that's pretty interesting. But what if the stock, if you're shorting it, goes the other way? This is where the risk, and this is why you hear about shorting uh, being an interesting uh, 
um, opportunity for investment, and I can go into a, a whole program on shorting, but if it goes the other way, and I'll give you a stock symbol, Tilray, T-L-R-Y, look at its chart about a year and a half ago. It's in the hemp space. The hemp space got really hot, and people got decimated on Tilray. Tilray went from 10 to $100 a share. So think about that. What if you shorted it in the scenario we just uh, brought up? You had a, uh, an opportunity to make $1,000, but Tilray went to $100. Now you've got to figure out how to come up with $30,000. 100, right, $100 a share? It's $100,000. My goodness, 100 bucks a share times, times your 100 shares. Wow, you can really lose money quick. Tilright actually went all the way up to $300 a share. So do the math on that. So shorting has unlimited downside. Unlimited downside, okay, um, uh, uh, for the investor. The upside is what I just went through. Now, those that shorted Tilray at, when it was at $300 a share, if you had the staying power, if you had the money to short Tilray at 10, short it again at 100, keep covering your margin calls, short it again at 200 a share, and short it again at 300 a share, eventually you would have been richly rewarded because that stock right now is trading at about $8 a share. Can you imagine how well the shorts did on that investment? But it's interesting, you really need to be paying attention when you play in the short game. So the next question I had was on ETFs and mutual funds. And this came from a number of people. Uh, Mark in Seattle asked a question, and there were several other listeners asking a similar question about ETFs, the mutual funds, uh, and index funds, actually, uh, including uh, uh, Hank and Jeff and a gentleman named Piedro said, are they things I should invest in and what's the difference? They're actually very similar. An ETF is an exchange-traded fund, a mutual fund is a bundle of stocks, and an index fund is a bundle of stocks that tra trades against an index, like the Standard & Poor's Index. I like all those as investment vehicles because it's a diversified portfolio for you. It's a bundle of stocks. Uh, many, many people think when they, they said, no, I have heard people say this, especially younger people, I don't invest in individual, I don't invest in stocks, I invest in mutual funds. Well, mutual funds is a bundle of stock, and you hear that all the time, but it's nice and diversified for you. So that's a great way to start off your investing career in that type of opportunity. In your 401k, you're likely to be buying a mutual fund or an index fund. So we're gonna close it up right here on Brisky Business. Uh, I love this segment of public markets, but my favorite segment is coming up next, and that's Brisk's Best and Brightest. This is my favorite segment. I call it Brisk's Best and Brightest. And this is a segment where we really get into mentorship. Uh, but on this program today, uh, we're answering our listeners' questions. And we had a number of questions, and I think some of them fit pretty well in Brisk's Best and Brightest. So, you know, join me for a cup of coffee during this segment. You know, relax, kick back a little bit, and let's dig into some of these great questions that our listeners have. I tell you, we got some smart minds out there uh, watching Brisky Business. So, this person uh, asked actually three different questions, so we're going to cover all three of them. So uh, it said, the topic I would love to cover in one of your episodes is management style. Um, and he said he just became a new manager. I'm not going to name his company, but he said in a company, I think the company is uh, located in Texas, or at least he is. And he said, I'd love your tips on a few of these topics. And these questions came in from Bobby. 
And uh, so I don't know if Bobby's a male or a female because that name goes either way. But you know what? The advice and the question works no matter what. So the first part of the question was, how do you develop into the correct management style to your personality and job? Wow. That's a really, really interesting question. And we've covered this on other programs to a degree, but we didn't actually answer this question so pointedly. Um, knowing yourself is the first step. If you want to be a successful manager, you got to know who you are. You got to know what matters to you. You have to know how to be your best you, your genuine you, which is the key. Because at the end of the day, those that are uh, wanting to uh, be led by you or being led by you, they're going to know if you're genuine. They're going to know if you're being real. Uh, you can't be a different person that's going out for dinner or a different person that's at a social event that's in the office. It doesn't make any sense. Yes, there's certain behaviors that are required within a company culture. For example, you might enjoy a happy hour cocktail and maybe your company doesn't allow drinking on the job, but that shouldn't alter your personality. And if it does, you might want to think about that uh, for a bit. But um, knowing yourself is the first step in developing the correct management style for your personality because you don't change your personality. Your personality is who you are, and being true to yourself is going to be your key to not only enjoying yourself in the workplace, but more importantly, finding people that want to flock to you or follow you or follow your leadership. God, people love to follow genuine human beings, and you'll see it all the time. Sometimes you just can't put your finger on it, and you just realize, that's just a genuine guy or a genuine girl. I like being around them. The reason why you like being around them is they're comfortable. They're comfortable in their own skin. You sure do need to understand your company as well and its culture, Bobby. Uh, that's a really, really critical piece. What is your company all about? One of the things I think is so important as you venture into this new role that you're talking about as a manager, do you understand what everyone's doing? Are you willing to roll up your sleeves and understand how those people are, uh, are involved in the company and you know, what their roles are? Because that is going to be critical for you to manage other people. You know, my dad taught me something when I, uh, when I was at Fordham University and I came home in the summers. One of the things he did is he took me out on sales calls because he realized I wanted to be in business. And uh, he stopped and we were going to go see his biggest account. And there was a gentleman there in the shop before we went up to see the boss who would be making the purchasing decision. And my dad stopped and had this conversation with this gentleman who really was just pushing a broom and kind of cleaning up. And uh, I was amazed by how, uh, how much time he spent with this guy sweeping the floors. And I asked my dad, I said, you know, what is, you seem to take an awful lot of time with this person, and yet, you know, you got your account waiting upstairs. And he says, Dave, I've been doing this a long time. And uh, one of the things I know for sure is it's a whole lot easier to be nice to people, for one. So there's a payback no matter what. And that guy that's upstairs that's making this buying decision, he was sweeping the floors the first time I met him. And so he, uh, he really taught me a valuable lesson there. First of all, there's no harm in being good to other people. But second of all, you don't know where these people are going to be in life. And if you treat them good along the way, 
that can be great for your career, but more importantly, it can just be great for that guy sweeping the floor when he goes home with a smile on his face. So treat people with respect, I think is the first answer there. But make sure you're doing it throughout your company, right? Uh, Bobby, that's key. Uh, do you know everyone there? Do you know about them? Do you care about them? You want to lead people? Show them you care about them and they'll follow you. These are really, really important management steps. The second thing, and you're going to be flipped over this one, uh, every management book I've ever read is, talks about the rule of arm's length relationship. Keep your employees at arm's length. Don't get in close. I threw that book away. Don't believe in it at all. I've gone my whole career violating the rule of arm's length relationship. I like to enjoy my work. Now, if you're going to be that person, you're that type of social person, and you want to violate that rule, you have to set up a standard for your team. You have to tell them that you're going to violate that rule. You have to tell them that you have no issues being a friend with people in the workplace, even a friend to people they manage. And you have to tell them that if the relationship deteriorates, it won't be because of you. It will be because of their issue having you as their manager and being confused as when they can be a friend and when they have to understand your position of authority. That is so critical. I've done that my whole career. I've given that speech. And have I lost a few people? Yes, I have. But let me tell you something. I've kept great teams together by being their friends and them understanding and respecting that that rule of, that rule of arm's length relationship is not something I follow, but I need you to understand my position of authority and responsibility, and please respect that, and we can have an incredible relationship. And it's worked very well for me. So for me, violate the rule of arm's length relationship, but make sure you can pull the trigger on those that can't accept the fact that you're in a position of authority or that you might be their boss. The best managers I've ever seen never pull that card. They never have to pull that card. They never have to say they're your boss. They get the work out of you because you respect them, because they like the environment they're in. Managing those expectations are absolutely critical to becoming a great manager. You know, I've looked at it so many different ways, and that is the key. Uh, one of the things I love to do is joke around in the workplace. So how are you going to manage that expectation? And I'm a brisky, and brisky are sarcastic people, so we use sarcastic humor. So sarcasm can sometimes backfire on people. So everyone I've ever employed and anyone who's ever worked for me has this speech to them. Hello, whoever it is. I want you to know that I love to have fun in the workplace. I want you to know sometimes I can say sarcastic things, and sarcastic things can be hurtful if you don't realize it's a joke. And you need to understand this. If I ever have a serious discussion we need to have about challenges in the workplace, um, uh, any issues that I have with you, it will always be in my office with the door closed one-on-one. -on -one. Every other time, it's just sarcasm and having fun. So if I say something off-putting in front of four or five people, I'm just joking around. Don't ever walk around wondering um, if there's an issue uh, with, your, with me 
in the position I'm in unless we've had that conversation closed door because that's how I want our environment to be. Uh, happy, go lucky, uh, getting, getting job done while having fun, smiling in the workplace, cutting up and joking around. That creates a great environment and I give you that advice and it works really well but you have to set the expectations once again. Um, one of your other uh, questions you asked was uh, what were my regrets or my pitfalls as a seasoned manager? That's an easy one for me. I've made the mistake a few times. Uh, integrity is everything and setting the proper chain of command as I've advised. But when an issue happens, it's hard to address issues. Letting them go too long is a big problem, a very big problem. Uh, so that to me is my biggest regrets, is when I've known there was an issue and didn't address it at once. Oh, I'll let it go. Maybe it'll change. It doesn't change. It just gets work. And by condoning that type of behavior, you're setting up for a very, very bad pattern. So addressing those things as soon as they happen. And I'll leave you with this tip. Now that you're a manager in your new career, which, by the way, congratulations. That's a heck of an achievement. That means you'll be hiring people. And this is my tip to you. It's hard to figure out who the right people are to hire. Where you make the big mistake is when they're the wrong people and they're in your company. You make those teams solid on the fire. The minute you know they're not the right person for your team, it's time to let them go. So that's it. We're going to wrap up Brisky Business. This has been a great, great episode for me. I appreciate all the questions. And uh, that's it for Episode 8 of Brisky Business. We'll see you next week.